I thank the Lord this morning that that is so very true. That no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, God loves you this morning. His love is an everlasting love. It's not a conditional love. It's an unconditional love, meaning it's not dependent on me and it's not dependent upon you. And I praise the Lord for that. Now I'm going to say this. She ain't in here so I can talk about her this morning. I love Shane Rose. And I'm going to tell you, I love her more today than I did when I met her. I love her more today than when we got married. I love her more today than when she had our children. But I'm going to tell you what, if I start coming home and she slaps me in the face every day when I come home and she burns the biscuits on purpose and she won't clean up the house. As a matter of fact, she takes the dust bunnies and throws them in the spot where I like to sleep. You know what? It may not take me too long before I get upset with that and I say, oh no, now I can't handle this. Something's got to change or it's over. But I'm going to tell you what, we've threw some dust bunnies where God likes to sleep in the bed. We've burnt his biscuits on purpose. (laughs) And you know what? He don't give up on us, but he still loves us. And that's something that every single one of us ought to rejoice at this morning, that he loves us no matter what. I want to tell you something. If you walked into this room this morning feeling like you were unloved, there's no need for you to leave feeling that same way. God loves you. How much does He love you? He loves you so much that He sent His only begotten Son. That whosoever would believe in Him would not perish. We all deserve perishing. Amen. People say, why does good things happen or why does bad things happen to good people? Well, you show me a good person and then we'll work on that question. I ain't seen the first good one yet because there's none righteous, no, not one. Every single one of us in here this morning is worthy of God's judgment, but what does He give us instead? Grace. Grace. Grace heaped upon grace. You read over there in the Gospel of John, and it talks about Jesus being the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and grace and grace heaped upon grace. That's what God's gift to us this morning is, whether we deserve it or not. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter number 5. Didn't plan on that, but that's kind of a segue into this. If we've experienced God's grace, then we ought to want to give God's grace. I believe the reason the church is trouble in America this morning, not in other places, I'm going to tell you the church right now is exploding in places like China, North Korea. Mm-hmm. Seems to me that where the church is having trouble is where we've gotten comfortable and there's no persecution and no trouble and heartache at our door. We can learn from this early church that God's key for the next generation and His key for growing the kingdom of God is through us and evangelism. And that we've got to get out there and tell people that God loves you. You're a sinner. The wages of sin is death, but Christ died for you. And you can be saved by faith. And listen, we don't have to convince people that there's trouble. They know they're in trouble. They know that there's something wrong. They just don't know exactly what that may be. 
That's why you see all the rise of these movements that people want to be attached to. It's in our nature to be attached to something bigger than ourselves. You see these kids out there that want to change the world. Why? Because it's in their nature to do something and be a, a part of something that's bigger than themselves. Now, we've got to tell them, look, before you can change the world, you've got to work on changing yourself. I can't clean up your room till I know how to clean up my room. And the Bible gives us three progressive features in this passage of Scripture that are keys to effective evangelism. And I'm going to read you just a few verses out of Acts chapter number 5. Acts chapter number 5. I'm going to begin reading at verse number 11. We talked about through verse 10 last week. The Bible says in Acts chapter number 5 verse 11, And great fear came upon all the church. Fear is a good thing, by the way. And I'm not talking about terror. Literally, a synonym for that word fear could be respect. I think we see too little of it in the world in which we live in today. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest, does no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. In a few weeks, it's getting closer now. We've got an opportunity to come together as God's people uh, to go through a conference. And the title's Every Believer a Witness. It doesn't matter about the title. What matters is what goes on while we gather together. It's a training conference that teaches us first to clean up our room. Uh, we talked about that last week. But then how do we help others clean up their room? an evangelism conference to spread the gospel, not for the gospel's sake, but for the Lord's glory and for the good of those people. Because I want to tell you something this morning, church. There's children out there this morning that wondered where their mama was last night or wondered where their daddy was last night and they sat all night in fear, maybe waiting to hear the sirens or something go off in their ears, wanting an end to this thing. And if, if we can get the gospel to mom and daddy, that little child can have a mom and daddy again and it's up to us to do that. So it's not just for God's glory Though that's the most important thing, but it's for the good of mankind. The best life there is to live is the Christian life. If you take eternal life out of it and thank God He doesn't do that, but remove the prospect of eternal life, remove the prospect of forgiveness of sin, remove the prospect of being brought back into the right relationship with God. The Christian life is the best life there is to live, period, bar none. Our founders got it right when the Lord Jesus Christ hung on the cross and said, if you'll choose this, something greater than yourself to live for, to die for, to speak for, to hope for, not only will it make you a better person and give you an eternity, it will literally change the world. And we saw that and have seen it. But we're the key to keep it going on. I'm going to go back just a little bit and talk about what last week we talked about three progressive features that are key to effective evangelism. And the first key is the potential of purity. 
We talked about it last week, so I, I'm not going to go back and, and, and hit that again uh, fully this week. But we saw the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and of course they lied to the Holy Spirit. They sold a piece of property, didn't uh, tell the truth about that. They held some back. Uh, they brought it to the apostles. The apostles said, basically, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? And we know that literally God ended up striking uh, both of them dead, the potential of purity. And, and I was thinking that I didn't do a good job last week explaining to that, uh, that uh, concept, the potential of purity. Uh, because before we're going to change the world, we've got to clean our own houses up. We've got to clean our own rooms up. And as we clean our own room up, then the, the potential is thus created for God to move in and work and use us in greater ways than we ever dreamed possible. Now, you're getting a good dose of Pinocchio this morning. Shane made me watch Pinocchio. Anybody ever watch Pinocchio? Well, I'm going to tell you what, I've heard about Pinocchio my whole life. And until last night, I'd never watched it. Was made in 1940, Disney, and I'm gonna tell you back before Disney got crazy into this identity politics and all that kind of stuff, they made some good movies that had deep meaning, simple but deep. And of course, you know Geppetto, he makes him a little puppet, right, and all of that. And Pinocchio's a little—he's a—he's a puppet, but he ain't got no strings. But he's not a real little boy, right? So the little fairy comes to Pinocchio, right? The fairy that comes out from the wishing star and that kind of thing. And I know that's not good theology. That's Disney theology. But I'm going to tell you what. You can apply Disney theology to our good theology and you've got something great. There's only one correct interpretation of Scripture, but there's many correct applications. Uh, so the fairy comes down to old Pinocchio and she says, Pinocchio, you want to be a real little boy? And Pinocchio says, yeah, I want to be a real little boy. What is she telling? Pinocchio, one day you can be a real little boy. But you've got to be good first. And you've got to tell the truth. Boy, I'm going to tell you what, there's potential in that. You see, when I tell the truth and I purify myself and I get my house in order, I'm going to tell you what, God can use me in such a, such a way, I mean in ways that I didn't even dream, that I couldn't even comprehend when this happened. And I'm going to tell you what, after this happened, that impurity was removed and it said there's on Solomon's porch. And I'm going to tell you what, the people were watching them and what happened, they were in one accord on Solomon's porch. And when we as God's people get together and I'm going to share something with you and my house is in order and your house is in order and, and, and we've got everything right uh, between each other and between us and God. Listen, the whole world will look because the scripture says there, I don't get outside of scripture now I'm telling you uh, biblical truth that they were watching them on Solomon's porch and they were afraid they saw what was going on in the church and that great fear came upon all men and what does the next verse say and many and many come to know the Lord why because when the 
outside world, these people out there look at us and they see that I've cleaned up my room and you've cleaned up your room. And because both of our rooms are cleaned up and we're telling the truth and we're being good little puppets in the world in which we find ourselves in, it becomes real to them. And they say there's something real going on up there at Zion Baptist Church. And listen, it's not always pretty. Sometimes it causes them to hurt and it might even scare them a little bit. But I'll tell you what, it beats what the world's got to offer. And if they see it in us, they'll want what we've got. And there's potential in the purity of God's people. When we get our lives right, they'll see it. But I'm going to tell you what, they're good. They can spot a hypocrite from a mile away. You know what happened to Pinocchio? (laughs) We're going to get back to that. Oh, Pinocchio got distracted. Did he not? And then he got caught. And the fairy comes, you know, and that's his conscience. She represents that higher order in that story. We call him the Lord Jesus Christ, but this is a Disney story. Kind of like God with Adam in the garden, she couldn't say, well, Pinocchio, what went on? I went to school today. Was you? <laughs> uh-huh. Well, now, Pinocchio, well, well, wait a minute now. That's not exactly what happened. Pinocchio said, well, this is what happened. And you know what? The next thing you know, that thing started branching off. Did it not? And as birds begin to build a nest in that thing, <laughs> and I'm going to tell you what, isn't that what sin does to us? When we're not honest with ourselves and tell the truth with the world, that that thing begins to grow and it begins to branch off and it gets so obvious that it's as plain as the nose upon your and my face. And they can see it. And they say, I don't want to be walking around with no nose that's four foot long and got branches growing off of it and birds are building nests in it. Why would I want what they've got? That's the potential of purity, church. If we get it right, then we'll be in a place to help others get it right. So Pinocchio, to become a real little boy, had to stop telling lies and be a good little boy. I want to say this, and I'm going to move on to the next point. When I say stop telling lies, I'm not talking about that you go out and I say, Jim, uh, the sky's blue out there when it's cloudy. Or even so much that I say, Jim, I'll pay you $3 uh, for something, and then i only pay him 2 What I'm talking about is lying to ourselves. Because ultimately, I cannot get away with lying to Jim, right? I mean, if I tell Jim I'm going to pay him $3 and I only pay him 2 and when he gets that $2 in his hand, he's going to call me out on that thing. But if I tell myself, listen, you're not getting distracted like Pinocchio. You're not getting out there into the world and letting things keep you from doing what's good and what's right. And I'm letting the fox and the cat lead me out to Pleasure Island like they did to Pinocchio instead of taking care of those things that are really important like for Pinocchio going to school. I can convince myself that I've done the right thing and I'll believe that lie all day long. So to be a good little boy, we've got to start telling the truth. 
And it's only in telling the truth can we ever hope to get it right. So there's potential impurity. The second key is there's power in proclamation. I want to read you what happens next. So the Ananias and Sapphira, they're off the scene. The apostles, uh, they're there, part of that. Uh, they're in together. The church has been purified. They're in one accord on Solomon's porch. And the Bible says uh, in verse 16, there came also a multitude out of the cities round about in Jerusalem bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits and they were healed every one. Uh, then the high priest rose up and all they were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. They laid their hands on the apostles and they put them in prison. Okay, and the Bible says, I'm not going to read all that for sake of time. You go back and read it. The angel came, opened the doors. The apostles left. The angel said, go speak in the temple all the words of this life. What life? The life of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they entered the temple. They started preaching. The officers came. They found them out of the prison. So they went back to the authorities and said, hey, they're gone. What's going on? We had them locked up in the prison. So the authorities, they go find them. Verse number 27, they brought them and they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, verse 28, saying, do we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Listen to this, verse number 32. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. Listen, there's power. There's power. In proclaiming the word of God. It's not my power. It's not your power. It's the power of the Logos. The divine truth of God. By which he spoke this world into existence. The Bible says in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And it goes on and say by that word. And in that word. And through that word. The truth of God. That the universe came into being. If there's power in the spoken. And the proclaimed word of God. To fling the stars in the heavens. And the moon in the sky. There's power that if we'll simply proclaim. What we've seen. The truth of God. That men, women, boys and girls. Lives can be changed. But we've got to get up from where we are. And do the proclaiming before it can take place. You see the disciples here. They simply said, hey, I'm going to tell the truth about what I've seen and about what I've witnessed. And you know how the story goes. The church exploded all over the world. Within 200 years, uh, it was the largest belief system in Rome. And by the, the 4th century A.D., Rome had literally been brought low and Christianity uh, was adopted all through the Roman Empire. Why? Because the power of the proclaimed Word of God. There's power in proclamation. Uh, of course, y'all know I like to read and I read crazy books that most other people wouldn't want to read. And uh, uh, there's a book that was written back, well, it was long before then, it was published in the 1970s, called the, the Gulag uh, archipelago and it was written by a man named Alexander Solzhenitsyn and he was a teenager a young adult 
uh, about the time that Stalin was coming to power and the, and the uh, uh, Marxist system that was rising up in the, uh, the Soviet Union. Young people in here, let me tell you something today, by the way. You're not going to get taught this in schools. Socialism killed over 100 million people in the 20th century. Amen. Uh, we don't need to be playing that game here in the United States. But Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a communist, and I mean, he's on board. He was he was in the team, and uh, he went along with the program. And that was until he crossed Stalin, and he found himself in the gulag. Now, most of our inclination would be, uh, if we found ourselves in the gulag, to blame Stalin. Right? (laughs) He's the one that put us there. But not Alexander Solzhenitsyn, no. He'd done a deep moral inventory of himself and started asking him, what did I do to allow myself to be in the gulag? What lies did I tell? Why didn't I speak out? You see, all it takes for evil to flourish is for good men to do what? Nothing. So he went along with the program. Uh, While he was in prison, he began to watch people. And the vast majority of people that were in the gulag with him, of course you know that they were starving, people were starving by the millions uh, under Stalin's Russia. Oh, and by the way, let me go ahead and say this. I've probably got myself in trouble. Might as well go further. Uh, For all of y'all people that say that wasn't real communism, uh, and that it's a good system. Uh, what you're really saying is, if I was in Stalin's place, I'm so benevolent and so good that I wouldn't be mean to people and I'd take care of everybody and uh, I wouldn't do what Stalin did. Well, number one, that's not true. Uh, your heart's just as wretched as Stalin's is. And if by chance there was a person who was truly benevolent and was truly good and was truly kind to all people and they found themselves in the position of Stalin... Uh, they'd last about three days before the next people down the road caught them in the bed at night and slit their throat and then they'd be a Stalin back in power again. That's human nature. We forget that sometimes. Uh, But he watched people in the prison. And one thing that did not surprise him is most people were willing to do anything to get a bite of bread or some food to eat. I mean, they'd turn in their friends. They'd play along with the guards. They'd muffle, help them as the screams were muffled, as people were being tortured. Uh, But what he saw, that there was a few people that were not willing to go along with the program no matter how much suffering it brought into their lives. I mean, they could starve them, they could torture them, they could kill their wife, they could kill their children and all of these things. And there were a few people that just wasn't going to go along with the program. They wasn't going to tell the lies. They wasn't going to turn in their neighbor. They wasn't going to turn their back on their own family. All of those things. And Solzhenitsyn began to wonder, what is different about these people that, see, Solzhenitsyn was an atheist, remember? Communism is a, or Marxism is an atheist belief system. Um, so he said, what's different about these people? Well, as he watched those people and paid attention to those people, and that's another thing we would do well to do in our nation today is pay attention. 
You can learn a lot if you just simply pay attention. He found out that they, to a person, had some type of belief system where there was something greater than themselves that they would answer to. So therefore, they couldn't be bent or broken by the communist or the Soviet system or under Stalin. And he basically came to a conclusion that uh, if he wanted to change Russia, he wouldn't do it through a political movement or through a powerful person or through another tyrant uh, that would be rise up, but by simply changing his own life. So he began to do that evaluation. What did I do? Where have I told lies? What have I done wrong? Who are the people that I hurt? And when it was possible, he went back to those people and made those things right. He started telling the truth. He started doing what was good, like what he saw those people do. And then he eventually wrote the Gulag Archipelago. Well, we know that it came out in 1973, uh, devastated the Soviet system. Devastated. Of course, he lived through um, and here's what Alexander Solzhenitsyn ultimately concluded from that whole book. It's like 2,500 pages long. That thing's about that thick, and I'm about that far into it. Uh, is this that if we'll simply be willing in all circumstances, no matter where we are, no matter the risk to us, proclaim the truth then every single one of us has it within our capacity to change the world by telling the truth. Well, the disciples here, you thought I'd gotten forgot scripture, right? <laughs> they said all we can do is tell what we've seen and heard, the truth. And they proclaimed it. And in the proclamation of the truth, Literally, the world changed. Well, now, they'd had some good training, and I understand all of that, and I understand that the disciples had walked with Jesus and all of that. Um, but in a sense, they weren't in a good place as we are. I mean, we've got comfortable homes, comfortable cars, comfortable clothes, good food, good medicine, and all of that, that ought to propel us forward to go out and proclaim the truth. But if we're not careful like Pinocchio, we begin to worship those trappings that are all around us and we forget what our real mission in life is, which is simply to proclaim the truth. I'm going to close with this. I didn't get to point three today, so I will try to do it next week. Uh, You had a fox and you had a cat, right? The fox was the leader and then the cat was his minions. And they come and they tempted old Pinocchio, right? First they said, Pinocchio, you could be a good actor. Now Pinocchio was supposed to be on his way to school, but he got distracted. And the next thing you know, he's out there doing the acting, right? But the acting overcome him. And next thing you know, old Pinocchio found himself in a cage inside a cart, headed out of town, away from the ones that loved him, and certainly not fulfilling his purpose. Well, we know Pinocchio got rescued from that, right? 
old Jiminy Cricket, my, he's Johnny on the spot. He comes and he gets Pinocchio out of that thing. And Pinocchio's going on his way back to school. Where back comes the fox and the cat. Well, it didn't work out making Pinocchio famous. But Pinocchio, we want to invite you on a little trip with us to this place called Pleasure Island. What happened to all those boys that get to Pleasure Island? I don't know if I can do it. Yep. That's what they turned into. I say that to say this. Satan will not come to you as a monster, as one of your nightmares. But Satan will try to distract you with what's most beautiful, what's most enjoyable, what pleases you above anything you can even imagine to keep you from proclaiming this gospel. And I'm going to tell you what, I've done some serious, serious looking inside of me. Number one, to see if I'm telling the truth. But also see if I'm being distracted from sharing and proclaiming the gospel because there's power in that. And I'm going to tell you what, one of the, one of the most noticeable or numerical, I don't know, the highest percentage, of, well, I'm just so busy. I mean, these kids, they got to get to their ball games and all of that kind of stuff and my job. And uh, I'm going to tell you what. Study after study has shown that once starvation is not knocking at the door, all the money in the world can't make you a bit happier. That's scientifically studied and proven. Money. Fame, oh man, there wasn't nothing I'd love better than to see one of my kids playing on a professional ball team. Why? So we can proclaim the gospel? Or so they can be famous and make you feel good? Mm. What I'm saying is the fox and the cat are coming calling in all of our lives. We've got to ask ourselves, am I Pinocchio or am I staying focused on proclaiming the gospel? Because when we do that, there's power to change the world. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, I once again didn't get through with the message, but Lord, I believe you directed it to where it was supposed to be. God, help us to learn from what we've read in your word this morning that those apostles said they were not going to obey men, that nothing, not even prison, was going to stop them from proclaiming the gospel. God, help us to see the power in that, that if we'll simply not let that cat not let that fox, Satan himself and all the pleasures and his minions distract us and get us away from what's most important. That like those early apostles, we could see the world changed. 
So Father, I pray that as your people gathered this morning that we truly would examine ourselves. God, that we would start telling the truth to ourselves. Identify those ways where we've crept off to Pleasure Island. And then like Pinocchio, God help us take a journey to the belly of the whale to find where we're supposed to be in serving others. This world, our nation, this community needs that. We are their only hope. That's your plan, not ours. So God help us to take it serious as we share Jesus with you.